the next time you make that sound, or if you happen to be around somebody else that makes that sound, pay attention. Either they're expressing something, or if there's somebody else around, they may say something like, yeah, me too, or that kind of a day. Or they may even just repeat it. <sighs> and yet, if you were to ask them to describe that sound, or if that sound has a term, they probably wouldn't know. I'm not sure if there is one. I've asked people about it before, and nobody had a good term for it or a good way of describing it. <sighs> but people understand it, or at the very least, it gets their attention and they may engage. It may incite concern, like, what's going on? How you doing? Or they may have empathy in realizing that through the large inhale and exhale sigh expression of it that it's intended to release some tension or stress or something and channeling it through the lips causing the flapping sound means you got more energy to it that you want to release or that maybe you want it to be kind of silly like the flapping of the lips can be and even though you may be stressed, you're trying to have a better outlook on it or something. There's so much information that that simple <sighs> can convey or so much that can come after it or from it being around other people. And yet we don't have a word or a phrase to just say what it is. We have so many other parts of our existence of our expression and communication and interaction that is like that. There's a very simple connection and communication that can happen without words, that words may even discredit or distance us from a real definition or a more definitive or accurate way of what that is. From a very young age, I remember feeling that, understanding that, almost from whatever point I might have had ideas, I would say that that was probably how I was. Alongside all the other Albertness, I'm sure that's how I eventually found art and how I found philosophy and all the other things that I was so drawn to and that fit so much better than words ever did coming out of my mouth or going into other people. I always felt it. I always knew. 31 years, it's always been that way for me. Last week, I started weaving this web of how I build things up, how I approach things, how I observe things, how I analyze things, and how I internalize that energy or express it after I've done all that. I talked about what I would do, what I do do, my process, my approach, my perspective to what I do, and I wanted to explain that and how I do that with art and I do that with philosophy, how as a creative person that's what I want to do is I want to take the information around me, I want to take my instinct, my emotions, and my ideas. I want to connect what I can, and I want to express that 
And that's what I love about art, and that's why so many other things get called art, because they have similar feelings, because good art will draw out multiple connections, either to other emotions, emotion to emotion, or emotion to idea, or instinct to idea, any of it lays those lines, it weaves these webs, but it builds, it takes pieces, energy, experiences, and it builds them up with emotion and idea, and it unifies, it creates. Entitlement does the exact opposite of that. It takes all this unity and interweaving, all this connection with idea, emotion, instinct, all this expression, and it just divides it and destroys it, and linear, closed-minded perspective force-trapping it into a box of just one ugly emotion, one empty idea. It's so addictive and infectious, and we've become so infected and addicted to it over a long period of time but so subtly and slowly through everything through electronics and advertising especially if you've ever experienced when electricity goes off if you're there in the moment with electronics on as they all shut off there's a sound and a feeling and you realize how much more calm you become almost instantly. How it was as though there was this high frequency that was so high and so quiet, you didn't even realize that you'd heard it because it was so constant. And it was just like this unpleasant ringing that just created this stress that you could feel more than you were aware of. And it wasn't until it wasn't there that you really finally realized how it was affecting both your mind and your emotions and your instinct and how that's exactly what this entitlement shit is. It's slowly been playing at each of those three essential parts of people. It's destroying each of them. It's contaminating them and making them different from what they are, from what they should be, from what they need to be, for people to be good. <sighs> my goodness. It preys on my goodness. It play plays on all our goodnesses. Goodness, when overfed, overindulged, it becomes not good. It's like foie gras. That shit is still on, like, every menu of any place that's fine dining or just high-end or a foodie kind of place. Almost every single one of them has foie gras on the menu, even though everyone knows how cruel the process of making it is. We're not here right now. Well, we are... But we won't be when you listen to this. That was a message that I 
recorded as our home answering machine message when people tried to call and we didn't answer the phone. That was what would play. And this was when I was so young that I still couldn't even say my R's. It was like, oh. I remember my sister being like, no, R. And I was like, I'm saying it, oh. But I recorded this message because my family had wanted me to do the recording because they thought it would be cute. And it was cute, but in remembering that, I realized that I started philosophy back then. I was already thinking that way. Like, for someone that young to have an awareness of that concept and how it still makes me think about we aren't here right now. Well... We are, but we won't be when you listen to this. That's still true for what I'm saying now, for how this podcast works. And there's still a number of ideas and implications about time, about metaphysics, what can actually exist and what does actually exist in the world that can be drawn from just contemplating that simple way of expressing things. I've been waiting a while to share a lot of this shit, and specifically this literal shit that one of my friends sent me is this article on Wikipedia about artist shit. And I recommend that you look it up because reading through all of it is fucking genius, honestly. Like, I don't typically like this art that's more idea than an aesthetically appealing visual thing, but the more I thought about this, as I read through all the details of it, the more I was just like, it's fucking, it's perfect, it's genius for what it is, and the message that it sends about art, and about entitlement. I feel like it's a perfect way to express my perspective on that whole thing. So it's this, it's called artist shit. So if you look it up on Wikipedia, that's how you can find it. And it's from 1961. It was artwork by the Italian artist Piero Manzoni. The work consists of 90 tin cans, each reportedly filled with 30 grams of feces and measuring 4.8 by 6.5 centimeters with a label in Italian, English, French, and German stating, Artist shit. Contents 30 grams net. Freshly preserved. Produced and tinned in May 1961. And that's all I'm going to read, because I want you guys to look it up, because it's fucking genius, and it's perfect for what it is, and I'm not gonna do it quite as well as I feel that it's already written. Hey, Albert, stick your head up here. Was all that I heard until the ringing in my ears from being slapped in the head so hard and the burning on my face felt and matched the rate of ringing vibration that was in my ears and the stinging from the humiliation and the betrayal of the instant when that happened because we were just driving around. Me, my brother, my sister, in the back of the van. They were in the middle seat, so they were closer to my parents, and I was in the back seat. And I was just fucking young spaceman at this point. I was always just in my head, dazing out, off in my own world. And I was specifically in this instant, and I didn't realize 
Whatever it was that my brother and sister were doing, probably just being kids, filled with energy and wanting to have fun. And if you're a parent, you already want to slap your kids in the head. That's, like, what parenting is, or at least back when I was raised, that's what it was. Especially if you're driving, and your kids are all over the place with energy, like kids should be. You want to slap them in the head, and my parent did. Slap my brother, my sister, and I was too far away since I was in the back seat, so they had to tell me, Hey Albert, put your head up here so that I can slap it. But I only heard that first part, Hey Albert, put your head up here. So when I felt the pain, just the sudden slap, the ears ringing and my face burning, I don't know if I was more surprised, shocked by being slapped or just the confusion of not understanding why I had, because I was just sitting in the back seat. I was dazed out. I wasn't even a part of whatever they were doing. I was in my head, completely away from it. Maybe that's why I didn't hear, hey Albert, put your head up here so I can slap you. Maybe that's why I just heard, hey Albert, put your head up here. Although I know I still would have, even if I had heard that part. I just would have been aware. I would have been able to kind of brace for it, and I wouldn't have felt the sting of surprising betrayal and unwarranted, unneeded, unnecessary abuse. I had to hear that story a lot. Hey Albert, put your head up here so I can slap it. And he did. So I did. And I see the humor in it now. But for me, it's just another one of those pieces that allows me to understand how I am. How I've almost always been this way as long as I can remember. And how probably always will be as long as I can remember. My brother was incredibly competitive. To this day, he's still probably the most competitive person I've ever known. And that would have been one thing if he was just competitive and we competed with him. And sometimes we got to win, but we never got to win even when we won. He still would just take the victory or the trophy, whatever the reward was or bragging rights or anything. I don't remember this, but I remember my dad telling me this, how one time he and I were playing with Hot Wheels, and we were racing, and I was winning, and suddenly, my brother's car could fly, and in flying, of course, his car was going to beat mine. It immediately took the lead, and seeing that this was happening, I made my car fly as well. But as soon as I did that, my brother's like, no, your car can't fly. And I was just like, okay. And so I put my car back on the ground, and of course I lost and accepted it as my only option. Overall, I actually honestly had a good childhood. Even the parts of it that weren't good, I found a way to laugh about them or to understand a part of who I became or already was or whatever the case. I don't like to dip back into it all too often and as I've gotten older I've just randomly remembered some of this shit just out of the blue. Some memory that I thought I maybe didn't remember anymore because I hadn't thought of it since 
it happened or close to would just randomly pop in my head and I'd be like, fuck, that's why that affects me. I think it's natural and necessary to think about, and I think it's fitting that I would be thinking about it today on my birthday. 31 years ago in Tempe, Arizona, around 10.30 p.m. in our house, I was born in the bathtub in only about 45 minutes, and my sister cut my umbilical cord. She did good. I like my belly button. And if you didn't know, you're supposed to wash your belly button. I didn't know that for a really long time, and I was kind of surprised when I heard it, and I stuck my finger in my belly button and smelled it, and I was like, ew. It's got a different stink. All of the stinky parts of our bodies have their own distinct stink. Distinct. It's not, you can't put that, because that's already a word. See how stupid words are. But being between your armpits and your gooch and your feet, it has that pittish B.O. kind of quality, but it's also got more of a funky tang. At least mine does. What the, the point I'm making is, wash your fucking belly button, you filthy, savage slobs, if you didn't know that you're supposed to do that. And don't stick your finger in it too far, because that makes me feel weird. At least personally, I don't know. Somebody once told me that they thought they would, like, fall apart, like their arms and legs would fall off if they pushed too hard on or in their belly button. I don't remember who that was, but I like it. But I don't really like birthdays. I don't like how most people think about them or how they act on them. The expectation and the obligation and other people... I can feel it. I can feel all of it. And it's uncomfortable. I'm glad I'm not dead. I'm usually glad when other people that I know aren't dead. And I think about that in less time than a full year. Trying to force it like a holiday or a wedding, it just it makes me uncomfortable. So it's been nice, so far, not really having much acknowledgement about it. Because it doesn't really matter to me. Like, I'm not all sad and dejected trying to keep myself from getting hurt. It just, it's not something that's important to me. An idea or an action. I'm aware of it. I'll be appropriate if someone says something. I will thank them, and I will appreciate it. But I'm not going to get my feelers hurt if nobody tells me or if certain people don't say something. It's just another day. I know I'm alive. You know I'm alive. That's... that's it. I like the mile markers and using them to see if I can birth an idea or an entire episode from a word or an occurrence, a thing that happened, an idea I had. It's a good opportunity to share early Albert. I don't do it often. There's still plenty of stuff that my closest friends who know a lot about me still don't know. I think that's cool. I like that. 
I also like the way that I've been able to measure my growth this year as a person. And that was through how I expressed other people and shit. At the beginning of this year, when I would get angry, I was telling people to suck my shit through a straw, which is incredibly vulgar. And that was what I liked about it. That was the appeal and the intention, but... I mean, that was that was pretty nasty and foul, even for me. And so then later, I got to a point where I was just telling people to eat my shit. And I was kind of proud of myself that I'd grown out of the suck my shit through a straw and just was telling people to eat my shit instead because although still unpleasant, it was less unpleasant. It was a little less severe. And finally, I've gotten to a point where I'm just telling people to eat shit like a normal person, like a decent person. Just eat shit. It doesn't have to be my shit. And I'm not going to specify whatever vulgar means that you would have to eat it, but just eat shit. Eat my artist's shit. Seriously, look it up. It's worth it. I've heard that every seven years, your body replaces every cell in your body. I was thinking about that one day, and I was connecting it to the Fibonacci sequence and to my personal experience with the stages in my life, the points when it seemed like things really actually did change, or a part of my body or something changed, or there was something different emotionally, mentally, a step that I had taken, because it has always been more like that. It's always been like stages and steps of my life. It's not every year matters, but... There are definitely some markers where there was a significant change, either physically or mentally or emotionally or something. And it somehow correlated to that idea and how the Fibonacci sequence lined up with that every seven years cell replacement idea as well. And I think that also led to the ideas I've had about the bacteria gods and how essentially all consciousness is just derived from cell behavior. Or maybe it's like a code. Maybe it's our just way of expressing all the information, all the millions of little genetic variations put together that create us biologically on a cellular level. Maybe consciousness is just an attempt to be able to communicate, to analyze and condense those ideas and put them together in a way that we can just communicate them to future offspring, future generations, so that they'll be more advanced at an earlier age and that they'll be able to also internalize and utilize that type of thinking. I've also been thinking... We used to shoot people out of cannons. We put human beings, fragile, fleshy creatures, into these large metal cannons that were filled with gunpowder. 
and meant to ignite and explode and combust, propelling the object inside of it out of it. We put people in cannons, and I loved that we did that. It was such a dumb fucking idea, but it's hilarious that somebody even thought and did it, and that it fucking worked. I want to be shot out of a cannon. At least I wish I wanted it enough to actually do it. If you still can, I don't know if that's like a legal thing that you can just shoot yourself out of a cannon. I mean, if people don't have to wear masks, if people can get away with not wearing a mask, I think I should be able to shoot myself out of a cannon. I'd like to know how that started. Who came up with that idea? Because I'm thinking that it might have been pirates. They were in the middle of a battle with another ship, ran out of cannonballs, and they're like, fuck it, stuff that dude in there. We're shooting him at the ship, and if he lives, then he can take the ship over by being on it from that way, that method. <sighs> it's about time, and that's about... All the ideas and energy I think I'm able to expel for this week. I've been thinking I'm going to take another week or maybe two off this time to rest, relax, regroup, refocus. I'll probably wait until the 10 episode mark again, which will be episode 21 this time. I've also been thinking about what I initially said with how other people would be involved with this, and obviously that isn't going to happen. I still would like any interaction or involvement as far as ideas, insights, anything like that, I'd be more than happy to hear and encourage people to share that stuff with me. And the right individuals on an episode, I think, could still work and could still be fun. But, like I've always known with pretty much every other aspect of my life, and I just need to finally accept I'm going to be alone. I remember I was walking one day when I was 13 or 14. It was one of my daily walks, a walk that I had taken hundreds of times at this point. And in walking the same path, it frees up the rest of you, your mind, your energy, to explore new areas if you want to. And this particular day, it wasn't even really an exploration. It wasn't some kind of insight or anything that I felt as though I generated on my own. It was like an epiphany. It was like it just beamed directly into my head. And as instantly as I had this inside of me, I also accepted it. I'm going to be alone. It was just there, in an instant. I knew exactly what I meant, and I knew that it was true, that it was right, that it fit me, because it didn't have any association. As it echoed inside of me, it wasn't hitting emotions or instincts or ideas or anything else. It was just there. It fit. It was at home. I'm going to be alone. And it's not a sad thing. It's natural. It's how we all actually are and will be. 
I think I'd be lucky to share my life with friends, with lovers. I'm not going to shut people out of my life or refuse to interact or anything like that. It's just in the grand scheme of things, in my most meaningful moments, that's how it's going to be for me. That's just in my nature, somewhere in my code. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your Albert speaking. I'd like to thank you for choosing Albert's to Nana Shoe podcast to fly away from your comfort zone, perspective, own ideas, emotions for just a moment in your life. I hope that you have a wonderful day, and thank you again for sharing some of your attention and energy with me. Till next time.